The government prepares for a fight over the cost of living as opinion polls show little bounce for Labor. Alcoa offers $3.3 billion for Illumina Limited. And BYD takes on Lamborghini and Ferrari. Welcome to Fear and Greed Business News, Australia's best business podcast. It is Tuesday, the 27th of February, 2024. I'm Michael Thompson, and good morning, Sean Aylmer. Good morning, Michael. Now, Sean, after the show, you have a, a really interesting chat today with telco analyst Paul Buddha from Paul Buddha Consultancy. Yes. Now, I'm the first to admit I know very little about telco. So I asked Paul to take me through how they make money. I understand Telstra, what it does, and we've got Vodafone and Optus, but we've got all these smaller players, TPG, Aussie Broadband, Superloop. I ask how they make money, where they get their business from, who their customers are. And so it's a 101 on telcos, but he sort of goes into a bit more and why you might invest in those types of companies. Fascinating chat with Paul. Yeah, it is. And it's a really timely one because of obviously we had the TPG results yesterday and Aussie Broadband and the the, the, the bid for Superloop. And as well then uh, last week, we had Optus kind of revealing how much the outage cost uh, from, uh, when was that? Late last year now, wasn't it? Yeah. And then Telstra uh, releasing its results a week and a half ago. So there's so much happening in the telco space uh, at the moment. So I thought this was a really interesting conversation. Main story this morning, Sean, Parliament is back in session with the cost of living and migration intake centre stage as opinion polls show little good news for the government. It's a very important week for the government. The by-election in the Victorian seat of Dunkley, vacated following the very untimely death of Labor MP Peter Murphy, is on next weekend. There's tax cuts to legislate, an overhaul of the higher education system, a cost-of-living crisis and plenty of debate over the number of migrants allowed into Australia and what that means for housing. Question time kicked off yesterday with the Coalition grilling the government about the half a million visas granted last year and how Labor would manage the pressure on the nation's housing stock and other infrastructure. It's what we're going to get plenty of in coming months, the cost of living crisis, basically, as both sides ready for an early election, notwithstanding Prime Minister Anthony Albanese over the weekend, making it clear he wants to run the full term. Also yesterday, Home Affairs and Cybersecurity Minister Claire O'Neill appointed a new National Cybersecurity Coordinator. Her name is Lieutenant General Michelle McGuinness. And Nationals leader David Littleproud said Barnaby Joyce will not be in Parliament this week, following the footage of the MP lying on a Canberra street a few weeks ago, affected by alcohol and medication. And Sean, there's also been several polls out in the past few days suggesting that all of that good news on tax cuts uh, a few weeks ago, which got a lot of publicity, didn't it? But none of it's really boosted Labor's popularity. Given 89 Australians will receive more money from 1 July this year, that's a bit of a surprise. The Australian's news poll shows that Labor's primary vote has dropped to 33% and Prime Minister Anthony Albanese's approval rating remains in negative territory, though the government retains its lead over the opposition on a two-party preferred basis, 52% to 48%. On a primary count, Labor's at 33%, the Coalition is at 36%, the Greens at 12%, One Nation 6%, and the Independents, including the Teals, at 13%. It's actually the Independents, they're the group that's gained most ground recently, which is interesting in itself that even those leaving Labor aren't particularly attracted to the Coalition. Anyway, a long way, well, we don't know whether it's a long way to go to the poll, or at least to the next federal election. But as it stands, Labor still has that all-important two-party preferred lead. All right, a bit going on in politics. How about local markets? What happened yesterday? 
Well, results, results, results were in the last few days of earnings season. Yesterday, the S&P ASX 200 closed up slightly to 7,652 points. CSL jumped 2%, while Commonwealth Bank, West Farmers and Macquarie all rose more than 1%. MyStech Global and Aristocrat Leisure also did well. The big miners, though, BHP, Fortescue and Rio Tinto all dropped, while the energy stocks, Woodside and Santos, were among the worst of the large caps. And just quickly, what's happening in international markets? Well, there's not, not a lot going on in commodity markets. Oil prices fell 3% last week. That explains why Woodside and Santos fell yesterday. What happens there is very much based on what investors think will happen to US interest rates. The consensus seems to be a delay in rate cuts. Iron ore, a commodity very important to us in Australia, is still trading around November lows, though it did bounce a bit yesterday. It's just below the 125 US dollar a tonne mark. One story worth a mention Blackstone Chief Executive Steve Schwartzman took home $897 million last year. That's about $1.37 billion Aussie. Hang on, $1.37 billion Australian dollars in one year for one man. And it was a 30% drop from a year earlier. <laughs> so, so, I'm sorry. He took a pay cut. What? <laughs> oh, golly. Uh, I mean, it's still one of the biggest payouts ever, <laughs> but, but it is 30% lower. Basically, it's all in dividends. So the 77-year-old collected about $770 million US dollars in dividends. He owns 20% of Blackstone, which, of course, is an alternative asset manager, but he also uh, kind of earned about another 120 in income from other parts of the business, but still $900 million US dollars. That's crazy. That's um. That's extraordinary. Seriously, if you're earning that, wouldn't you make it your last year? Like, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna yeah. retire. I remember the um the the guy from Macquarie, the commodities boss, O'Kane was his name. He just he took his fifty two million or whatever and just said, oh, I think I'm going to do something else now. <laughs> yeah, we were talking about that what, last week or the week before, and going, wow, that's extraordinary. Imagine earning that much, <laughs> imagine earning that much money in one year, fifty something million dollars. Well then, and here comes Steve Schwartzman. Hold my beer. Eight hundred ninety-seven <laughs> million US dollars. He's, show, he's showing us all how it's done. That is, uh, oh, it's actually a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah, it is uncomfortable. Give him a beer back, please. Yeah, yes, please. We'll be back in a moment with the rest of the day's business news. Sean, higher sales at Dan Murphy's and BWS and an improvement in food and beverage turnover at its pubs has helped Endeavour Group improve its top line, but net profit fell nearly 4% for the second half of last year. In the end, it wasn't that great a result. The business has pretty much been more interesting for its boardroom intrigue than what it actually does on the ground. Spun out of Woolies last year, major shareholder Bruce Matheson Sr., who owns 15% of the company, went on the attack about the board's performance. Ultimately, Chair Peter Hurl stepped down and Mr. Matheson's son, Bruce Matheson Jr., who is on the board, said he'll leave in the next few months. Peace in our time, sort of. Anyway, the cost of living crisis is hurting the group, though it has been able to push sales higher, albeit on lower cost products. Christmas was good for the pubs business, so there's been little sales growth this year. Endeavour's share price closed down 3.4% yesterday. 
Now, I mentioned this one at the top of the show, Sean. US-based Alcoa has made a $3.3 billion bid for ASX-listed Illumina, and the CEO of the Aussie company has given it his support. Yes, Alcoa and Illumina are partners already in a portfolio of assets. This takeover has been about 20 years in the offing. I'd say people have been talking about it forever. The bid yesterday is at a 9.5% premium to Illumina's average share price over the past year, but it's not much more than a 10% premium to its closing price last Friday, and it's about 60% lower than five years ago when Illumina prices were much higher. One of Illumina's largest shareholders, Alan Gray, that's a fund manager, not a person, has struck a deal to sell into the script bid, according to media reports. If consummated, the deal will bring a global portfolio of bauxite mines, Illumina refineries and aluminium smelters under one ownership. Illumina Managing Director Mike Ferraro suggested he'd support the deal if no better offer emerges. Illumina is aluminium oxide and it's used in mining, material sciences and ceramics. So it's different to aluminium. It's actually basically dehydrated aluminium is how I think about it. Anyway, the company share price closed up 7% yesterday. Uh, And Sean, that wasn't the only bid announced yesterday. And I mentioned this one in passing while talking about our interview coming up today. But Aussie Broadband has bought a nearly 20% stake in rival internet broadband provider Superloop and has made a $466 million indicative takeover bid. Yeah, Aussie Broadband's been a success story of recent years, with its share price up more than 50% over the past year, including a surge last week after it released its results, showing it had increased its share of the broadband market. It wants to take on the likes of Telstra and Optus and Vodafone. The all-share takeover proposal is part of Aussie Broadband's effort to become a scale player. That is very much the name of the game in the telco sector, as Paul Buddha tells us in my interview with him after the show. Aussie Broadband wants more than 1 million broadband subscribers. A condition of the bid is that it receives full backing of the Super Loop board. Uh, Sean, I'll put in the in the show notes for the interview, uh, I'll put a link in there to, we've spoken in the past to the CEOs of both of those companies, Aussie mm. Broadband and Super Loop in the past. And so I don't want to really take credit for this deal. <laughs> oh, no, go for it. You might as well. But it does feel like this has got fear and greed. Yeah. It's got fear and greed's fingerprints all yeah. over it. Yeah, they heard each other on fear and greed, thought, let's have a cup of tea. Yeah. Chat about things right. and off we go. Yep. <laughs> it's like The Bachelor. We're matchmakers. <laughs> Just like The Bachelor. The Bachelor for business. That's what oh, we are. Oh, what an idea. You want to take over. You want a merger and acquisition. Come and see us. We'll find you a partner. Oh, goodness me, Sean. And just staying in the telco world, I don't know how wise that is for us considering the path we've been going down. (laughs) TPG Telecom's annual pre-tax profit came in 8% higher for the year at $1.9 billion. But the bottom line, so that's after tax and extraordinary items, fell to $49 million from $513 million a year ago. To be honest, that was more about an extraordinary item the year before. It sold its towers and the business didn't fall out of bed over the past 12 months. It sold its tower, so it got a big lump of money for them, and that helped the 2022 result. Thing is, though, TPG now has to rent those towers back, or they lease those towers back. So that was part of its higher cost this last 12 months. The company did say, though, the result reflected stronger growth in mobile service revenue, had about 175,000 new subscribers during the period. But to be honest, Analysts didn't like it. Its share price tumbled 8% yesterday. 
Sean Insurance and banking group Suncorp reported a 14% jump in cash earnings on the back of much higher premiums paid by customers. Good news for shareholders, not sure about we insurance holders. The bad news, at least for shareholders, especially if you're an ANZ shareholder, because that bank is about to buy the banking business of Suncorp, is that apart from insurance, profits at Suncorp fell. The insurance business is benefiting from more customers across the home and motor portfolios paying higher premiums across the group's different brands. Think Amy, GI, Bingle, Vero. It was helped by relatively benign weather in the six months to the end of December with claims from natural catastrophes sitting at $112 million below its allowance. In the banking business, profits fell 25%. In the all-important net interest margin, the difference between what a bank pays on deposits and receives on loans fell appreciably. Suncorp also said there was an increase in loans more than 90 days past due. Last week, the Australian Competition Tribunal overturned an Australian Competition and Consumer Commission decision allowing ANZ to proceed with its $4.9 billion bid for Suncorp. Now, Suncorp's share price was up 3.5% yesterday. The tax office, Sean, is investigating a suspected $180 million tax fraud by a top formwork contractor in the construction industry. Now, this could end up as the biggest tax fraud in Australian corporate history. This is huge. It is. Early days, but it's an amazing story. So, administrators of collapsed New South Wales company Dalma Form Specialist, D-A-L-M-A, Dalma Form Specialist, have reported that the tax office alleges the firm was part of a group of 30 companies, including Labor Hire, that it suspects may have been secretly controlled by Dalma Director Iger Sykes, that's C-I-K-E-S, Sykes, as they collapsed, owing pay-as-you-go tax over 15 years, according to a report in the Financial Review. I have no idea how you can get away with not paying pay-as-you-go tax for 15 years. The alleged tax scheme has yet to be substantiated, keep that in mind, but if proven would be the biggest corporate tax fraud ever. Dalma is one of the largest formwork firms in New South Wales. Competitors say it's repeatedly tendered prices 15 to 20% below other bidders for tier one projects, including the state government's $476 million Victoria Cross Station development at North Sydney. All right, Sean, there were plenty of other profits out yesterday. Oh, yes. <laughs> so yes. want to try something similar to last week when I almost encourage you to wrap the results. We're not going to do that. But I would like you to give us a rundown on uh, the key kind of results out yesterday. But you have to do it uh, with one sentence, preferably, per company, and preferably something worth listening to, which I mean, that's mm. kind of sounds a bit harsh really, doesn't it? But find the best <laughs> element of each okay. result and share that with us in one sentence. Go. Let's see where we go. Betting and Furniture Group Adairs said sales were down 10%, pushing profits lower. And there are a few things behind the decline. Dash, lower customer traffic, inconsistent stock availability, and a disappointing fashion bed linen season. But that didn't stop the group share price jumping 15% yesterday. Mm. A lot of transitions there, not bad though. Non-bank lender Liberty said profit was down 34% for the December half with a reduction in profit margins and a jump in provisions for bad loans. Online retailer Kogan.com reinstated its dividend after finally returning to profitability in the December half, although revenue was down 10% as shoppers backed off because of cost of living pressures. Oh, and its share price rose 24%. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Online retailer Adore Beauty said sales growth accelerated at the start of this half, sending its share price rallying 10% after a better half year result boosted by more repeat shoppers. Falling rare earths prices, thanks to the construction downtown in China, triggered a 74% collapse in Linus rare earths profit for the December half. NIB said growing membership helped its half year profit jump by 20%. And finally, Queensland Cold Export Terminal Dalrymple Bay Infrastructure delivers 7% rise in profit on the back of higher fees charged to customers. <sighs> yeah, that was, that, that was pretty good. Yeah. You know, you know, some of the best writers, I remember at the financial review, some of the best writers, they used to you know, teach you how to write. And they'd always say, after a long sentence, always have a short sentence. Not always, but just as a rule of thumb. Mm. So as I was doing that, and when I write this day, I might have a 25-word sentence and then I try and have a five-word sentence. It actually works really well, but when you put me under pressure there, I found myself just going, and, and. (laughs) (laughs) Note to self, put Sean under pressure more often because (laughs) actually it's kind of fun to hear you quite uncomfortable. (laughs) Let's move on. International news, very serious story, this one, Sean. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky says his country has lost 31,000 soldiers since Russia's full-scale invasion started two years ago, as he stressed that a decision from the US Congress on $60 billion in aid was needed within a month. Mr. Zelensky said Ukraine has a clear plan for 2024 while making a blockbuster claim that parts of its 2023 battle strategy had been leaked to Russia, according to Bloomberg. With the war now in its third year, Russia has gained fresh momentum recently, exploiting Kyiv's deficit of ammunition and shortage of troops. US support, a crucial lifeline, faces formidable obstacles in the Republican-led House of Representatives, even after a joint $95 billion US dollar package for Ukraine, Israel and Taiwan cleared the Senate. And finally, Sean, Chinese electric vehicle group BYD has debuted its most expensive car, a high-performance, fully electric supercar pitted against options offered by Ferrari and Lamborghini. The Yangwang U9, that's Y-A-N-G-W-A-N-G, the Yangwang U9 will initially be for the China market. It'll sell for about $350,000. That's Aussie. The car can hit 100 kilometers in 2.36 seconds. Not sure why you need that, but anyway, it can hit 100 kilometers in 2.36 seconds and reach a top speed of 309 kilometers an hour. That'll be handy in the city, won't it? BYD became the biggest EV seller globally in the last quarter of 2023, while it's better known for making affordable EVs. The company markets its luxury models under the Yangwang and Feng Changbao brands. Yangwang started delivering cars in late November and thus far has one model, a luxury sports utility vehicle known as the U8. It sells for about $230,000. We're talking about the U9 here. Now, Ferrari, it hopes to launch its first EV late next year. Lamborghini isn't looking at that until 2028. So BYD will certainly get a jump in terms of timing in terms of those uh, high-performance, fully electric supercars. Up next is the Fear and Greed Daily interview with Paul Buddha, telco expert. He basically knows everything there is to know about telecommunications. He does, and I ask him all about what's going on in the telco industry, and he tells me from the giants, Telstra, those sorts of people, through to the smaller players, Superloop, TPG, Aussie Broadband, all those guys. Yeah, it is really interesting. It's up next in the Fear and Greed playlist on your podcast platform or at fearandgreed.com.au. Thank you, Sean. 
Thank you, Michael. It's Tuesday, the 27th of February, 2024. Make sure you're following the podcast and please join us online on LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, TikTok. We've got some new videos on there as well for your Ingrid podcast. Check us out. Uh, X and Facebook, we're pretty much everywhere. I'm Michael Thompson and that was Fear and Greed Business News. Have a great day.